Manon is the visionary founder and CEO at Happy Culture. She is driven by a calling to play a part in igniting humanity's awakening towards greater joy and harmony on Earth. Her passions lie in the realms of entrepreneurship, the power inherent in conscious business and consumerism, and enriching lives through gaining and spreading awareness and tools for optimizing human well-being. Manon's inspiration and zest for life is fueled by the mysticisms and awe-inspiring beauties of life on Earth. With happy culture, Manon Coleman spearheads a journey of innovation, captivating taste buds, and championing well-being, happiness, and a beautiful collective evolution. So excited to speak to her today. Manon, welcome. Am I saying your name right? Yes, oh. Manon. You Manon, got it. Yes. Welcome to Undeniably You. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. It really, really is. It's Thank such you. an honor for me too because we actually have a history together, and the history being me starting this journey of like trying to podcast or film or video, and I, I'll never forget it because I think I messaged you and I was like, I want to just record make how to make kombucha, and you came over to my apartment and we were just trying different things and. Yeah, I mean, it never worked out, but <laughs> we were both nervous, oh, and I also remember yeah. you being quite nervous yes, back then. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I was ready to yes to share yet. Yeah, and look at now we're here and we're ready to talk wow. all the things because you've grown so much and it's so beautiful to watch as well. Thank you. Yeah. What was it like growing up for you? Where Where are you from? And and tell me more about your up like your childhood. Mm. So I was born in a small countryside town in Belgium, in the southern French-speaking part of Belgium. Um, my parents were keen on having a big family, so whipped out a whole five children during my childhood years. I was second in line. Um, I was a pretty timid uh, child, but I always had a very inquisitive mind and a wild imagination. And even though I grew up in quite a conventional kind of culture and world, I was challenging and questioning the status quo from a very young age. I was always just not ready to conform. Um, I lived in Belgium until I was 12. And then my parents had a pretty big, crazy idea to move their five kids to the other side of the world. So we got on the plane and moved to South Africa. Um, they bought a little piece of land in Franschhoek, which at the time was barren. And then they planted vineyards and built a winery and a bubbly business over time. Um, yeah, I would say that like experiences that really shaped me during my childhood was firstly being part of a big family with parents that were very busy working full time. So I learned to be independent and solve problems on my own from a young age and also being the big sister I took on a leadership role from a very young age as well mm. um, and then moving to South Africa at such a pivotal time of one's development you how know, old were you 12 years old so wow. I was entering into puberty and my whole world was changing my whole inner world was changing and then at the same time my whole external reality changed I didn't speak a word of English I'd never been to South Africa I knew nothing about this country this culture wow. this history everything was new and unfamiliar so it took a lot to adapt and to cope and did um, you have to go to school in Franschhoek yes we okay. went to school in Franschhoek so, yeah, it was a super challenging time, but I think it had a strong influence in shaping my character and making me just very adaptable and resilient and 
for and that I am grateful. Is French, Afri it's Afrikaans, right? So were you learning Afrikaans as um, well? So you, and English and Afrikaans and then... Uh, there's a bit of everything. There's the okay. Afrikaans culture there, but yeah. the school I went to was English. English, okay. Yeah, so. Wow, that, that must be so... It must be a lot for a child to come down not speaking English and then needing to learn that and go to school mm. to learn all your subjects in a different language. Mm. It was very challenging, I must say. And also because my parents were so busy with their five kids and building their business and whatever, mm. they didn't have a lot of time to care for my needs. Also, their first time with a teenage daughter, you know, what do they know? True, exactly. <laughs> so I had to figure it all out on my own, yeah. And that builds strength and character, yeah. for sure. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, did they, were they always in the bubbly business in, when you were in Belgium or mm. is it something that they adapted in South Africa? Um, that was a completely new thing when okay. we moved. Yeah, yeah. That's also incredible for them, you know, learning from that age to watch your parents develop something, mm. you know, so like such a strong business. Yeah, I, I guess to like think big and to think outside the box and, and also to not bravety, be scared to take right? leaps. Yeah. Any risk, yeah. Mm. Um, so can you share this, the, the story behind creating Happy Culture? How did that come about? Yeah, okay, so it's actually so cool looking back and connecting all the dots and just realizing, you know, all the sparks and synchronicities and events along the way. Because while you're on the journey, it doesn't always feel that clear. 100%. <laughs> and you I look back and you're like, oh, wow, makes so much sense. Um, but yeah, lots of different stepping stones and influences along the way. I would say by the time I left home at 18, it was quite clear to me that I wanted to be an entrepreneur do something of my own and play a part in bettering the world. That was something that was quite clear to me, but the what's and how's and why's, et cetera, were still no very much unknown. Yeah. Um, I went and studied at UCT. I did a business degree to get some foundations. Uh, by the time I finished studying, I decided to embark on a traveling adventure. I wanted to learn more about myself and the world and the role that I wanted to play in it. How did you fund that at that age? Did you um, get help? Or? So no, I, initially I sold my car. My dad had given us all a car when we started university, which we could either keep or sell if we wanted. So I sold my car and that got me to the States. So I did a ski season for a few months in California and then went and worked on the yachts for um, about a year and a half. My intention on the yachts was always to save money so that I could go on a traveling adventure mm -hmm. free of financial worry. Um, so I did exactly that. And then for the last year, I, tra I traveled for three years in total. And for the last year, I was in India and Sri Lanka and Central and South America, really just doing all the things, having so many enriching experiences, you know working on permaculture farms and yoga retreats and There's living in a camper like van. There's travel and experience that teaches you so much, hey? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So in a nutshell, the traveling experience really just um, enriched me in a lot of ways, helped me shed the layers that were in serving me and brought a lot of inspiration and guidance um, as to um, who I was and who, what I wanted to do in the world. Um, by the time I came back from travels, I was still not clear on what it would be, but... I was very clear on the fact that I wanted to create something that would help um, contribute to more joy, peace and harmony on earth, essentially. You know, I was just, it was clear to me that people were living in such disconnect and we were not living in our full potential and there was such a lack of balance in the world. And during my travels, I'd also really fallen in love with life and the 
how beautiful life can be, mm-hmm. really. I'd really yeah. fallen in love with that. And I wanted people to experience that and I wanted the world to awaken to that. So I wanted to create something to spark more of that in the world. Um, the what was still unsure. Worked with my dad on his farm in Franschuk for eight months um, with the possibility that I might get involved with him in the business in some kind of way. Um, at the time, Mark, who I ended up starting Happy Culture with, was with me. Um, but we decided to um, leave the farm after eight months, realizing that it wasn't aligned for yes. uh, what we wanted to do. I guess because it's alcohol yeah, you know, and it's not aligning. Exactly. To- Actually, the alcohol, I was supposed to um, focus on the marketing front. And when it came to finding inspiration for like how we would market this product and how we would inspire more people to drink bubbly, it yeah. didn't feel aligned with my mission and you know. And there's only so many ways you can convince someone to drink bubbly, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we left the farm in search of new uh, possibilities. Um, we'd actually bought a, a camper van while living on the farm. Uh, my last stretch of travels, Mark joined me and we traveled for six months in South America together in wow. a camper van from Costa Rica to Patagonia. Had all kinds of amazing experiences along the way and really loved the camper van life, but at that point decided to come back to South Africa. And when we got here, we were missing the camper van life, so we bought another camper van. And when we left the farm, decided to live in the camper van for wow. a while. Uh, we actually had no savings at that point um, and no plan, but we had um, welcomed the little puppy into our family. And so we felt called to make a plan to stay in Cape Town and make something work. So we lived in the camper van for a couple of months, one month of which we spent around Tamboskloff area and we signed up to Guru Ramdas Yoga Studio, uh, okay. which is a Kundalini yoga studio mm-hmm. in no, town. Right, yeah. And um, every morning we would go to Kundalini for a class and then we would also have a shower while we were there. Um, and... What was quite special about that period was that firstly, of course, starting our day every day like this of just opening up the channel and balancing, you know, balancing ourselves out um, really opened up uh, the channel for inspiration and ideas to come through, which was the intention at the time, uh, or guidance to come through. Uh, but also they were selling kombucha in the fridge at the studio. So a lot of the mornings we would treat ourselves and have a kombucha. And uh, during that period, we'd also decided that we weren't going to drink any alcohol um, to not get distracted. It was October, mm. October in Cape Town. You know, there was a lot of temptation for festivities and such, and we didn't want to... Get lurked into yeah, that. Yeah, get lurked yeah. into that. So um, we decided Kundalini every morning, no alcohol, but we did get invited to a few social events. And so when we did, you know, we were like, oh, it would be nice to buy some kombucha and bring it along. And so we started looking in the shops to see what kombucha was available And um, the brands that we found were nice, but all of them were quite sweet, like high in sugar Mm. and quite expensive. So we wondered, you know, why is it so sweet and why is it so expensive? Is there a way to make it differently? So that was the initial sort of spark into like... penny drop, yeah. And so we started researching, uh, you know, uh, more about kombucha, how is it made, um, what's yeah what's happening with kombucha in the world and uh, the more we looked into it the more we realized that uh, this was definitely something that aligned with with what you wanted to do with what we were passionate yes. about and yeah. our, our mission so at the time we didn't necessarily want to start a business together that wasn't clear but 
somehow aligned at that point of realizing that this would be a really... It's also part of the journey, right? Like you're both experiencing this reality at that time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it all felt very like destined and, Mm -hmm. you know, so we just followed, followed the breadcrumbs. I'd actually come across kombucha in Guatemala for the first time at a yoga retreat there on um, Lake Atitlan, this beautiful, very sacred place. And I spent two weeks at a yoga retreat there. And it was such a pivotal time for me in life where I really um, experienced what it felt like to feel super embodied and connected and open and to be surrounded by people who were also like that for the first time in my life. Um, And so kombucha was very synonymous for me with that feeling, that experience. And so there was a big draw towards it from the very moment I, um, I tried it again in Cape Town. And then, yes, as I said, the more we looked into it, the more it, it felt um, aligned and destined. And so, yeah, we, the journey began. We realized we couldn't live in the camper van um, and start. Where were you guys? You guys you, I think I read that you were parking in different spots, right? And like just staying, you just. Yeah. So did. mostly just in the back streets of Tambo's Clove. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Um, always near a park because we had the dog in the car with us. So we needed to, to <laughs> let him get out in the morning yeah, and do his yeah. thing. Um, but yeah. That's incredible. I love that. I love the inspiration and the journey that led you to that penny drop moment Mm. and that continuation of following that Mm. spark. How do you inspire and empower others on the journey um, to living a healthy and happier life? Hmm. Um, Me as an individual or the brand? I think let's start with you or let's start with the brand and then we can go into a little Mm. bit about how you, you do that on a personal level. Cool. So with, with the brand, um, it's evolved over time in such beautiful ways. But the more we started to build an audience um, and a following, a community, the more we realized that we now had um, a lot of power and potential for uh, inspiring others and um, spreading a message and building a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... The how of how we inspire and uplift humanity or our community is, of course, through our products and all the benefits that are within the products. But then it's also the small touches like having, um, you know, colorful branding that makes people feel good or beautiful branding. Mm. You know, beauty uplifts us. Um, Cute affirmations on the bottles that will make... I intended to open the heart. Um, and also a reminder, right? A little this. reminders, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, through our brand communication, you know, through our social media channels um, and just our brand communication in general, really spreading a message that uplifts and inspires and educates mm-hmm. um, through our website, you know, having blogs, um, our mailers. Um, so really the intention is to deliver value that can help spark an awakening in people. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about that. That's so exciting. So I want to go back a little bit because I think I skipped out a step there where, so you now have this idea <laughs> and then what happens? So you, you've like, cool, we did doing all this research. How did you get to the next step? Yeah. So at that point, as I said, we were still living in the camper van and realized that we weren't going to start a kombucha production inside the no. camper van. So... We spoke to a good friend of ours about the idea and he very kindly offered for us to come live in his house in his spare room uh, free of charge because we didn't have any money at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, So we couldn't even afford rent. Um, um, One of the, to kind of step, trace back to one step further as well, I think having worked on the farm with my dad, um, 
was a big contributor to us, to giving us confidence to embarking on this journey because the production processes of kombucha are actually very similar to that of Cap Classic. So there was a lot of familiarity there, um, which gave us confidence. Um, but yeah, we started uh, brewing kombucha at home. We had a whole bunch of different batches. We got scobies from different friends and people and shops around Cape Town. Um, and yeah, we started experimenting with kombucha production, falling more and more in love with every batch. And while the booch was brewing, we were working on the business plan, really from scratch, you know, um, how will we do our production? How will we do our distribution? How will we do our marketing? What's our brand? What's our mission? What's our vision? All I mean, there was so much to figure out. I'd never built a business before and I'd never really had a corporate job or anything of the kind yeah. before. So it was all question marks at that point. Uh, there was a lot to figure out, but we were determined. Um, the whole time there was um, there, there was a, a feeling that we were on the right track, but at the same time there was a strong sense of doubt as to whether or not this was even realistic, I starting think, yeah. with absolutely no money and building a business that is very complex in its nature, very, very complex and very capital intensive. Um, it's very different if you start a business where you can outsource the production from the beginning. Yes. Um, yeah. Beverage businesses are known to be some of the most difficult businesses to start. Now we're working with beverage, cold chain, in-house manufacturing, fermentation, new category, new brand. Like it's, it's a very challenging task. There's a reason why nobody else had done it yet, I guess, or on the scale that oh, we wanted to do yes, it. Yes, Because yeah. essentially the gap that we saw, there were a few local brands that were doing a really good job within their niches, but nobody had taken on the challenge to um, scale. So really build a production facility that would be able to supply uh, bigger retail and really grow the category on a large scale. become more accessible to a lot more people. Exactly. So our mission was to make it um, available and accessible and exciting. Mm -hmm. Just taking it out of this concept of like, oh, this is a health drink that you should drink so that you can improve your gut health. Yeah. Creating a drink that was a really exciting substitute to... Um, sugary sodas, etc. Um, something that people were excited to drink and cheers over and, you know, really building a whole new movement around that. Um, so for that, we first needed to build a product line that would appeal in that way, um, build a production facility that was scalable and compliant to be able to get into big retail. And then from there, being able to build the distribution structures um, and networks to access big retail and to manage things like merchandising, et cetera, in store on a large scale. And then and you were thinking only, about all of this in the development? or is Yeah, I, I mean, in the beginning, it was all... There was this initial moment of excitement where it was like I felt the vision, I saw the vision, and I knew this was the mission and nothing was going to stop me. But and in that moment, it felt so close, it felt so um, achievable, attainable, achievable. Mm -hmm. But with um, the more that we went into the business plan and into the details of what will need to happen, the more I realized what a long and difficult journey this was going to be. Mm -hmm. And especially without... Um, any capital to invest into from the beginning, which would require raising finance from the very beginning before we even, even, even had a proof of concept. So um, there was always a little voice at the back of my head that, you know, the, the voice of doubt, I suppose. Of you know, course, that's being yeah. like, okay, let's be realistic here. Yeah, you know, is this really going to work? Is this even possible? And also when you're raising finance, you, you feel a great sense of responsibility to, you know, mm -hmm. be quite 
confident in your... It's a lot of stress, financial stress, knowing that you, you have to pay this back and if it doesn't work. But I think the lesson that I'm learning from this is fail faster. You know, if, it, if things don't work out, but you still have the vision, just keep going mm. and see where it can take you. Mm. Especially so. if you have the ability to be adaptable. Mm-hmm. You know, then you can always veer and pivot. I think so. so yeah. <laughs> the the strategy, mm-hmm. um, but you've got to be smart. You've got to be strategic, and you've got to be dedicated, and obviously have enough willpower and passion to keep you moving. A hundred percent forwards. Um, but I wanted to tell you actually about the moment. Yes. Because the there moment. was a lot in the mind. I was like, oh, this would make sense. This would be nice. But there was a moment when I knew this is, this is the way. And this was um, soon after um, starting to look into the kombucha possibilities. Um, Sexy Foods had a little conscious party. Sadhu Sensi was on the decks and they were serving kombucha on tap. And during my travels in South America, I'd fallen in love with cacao. Cacao was my thing. And I actually thought that cacao was going to be what I was going to do because I was so in love with the powers and beauties of cacao and I wanted to bring it back to South Africa and make it a thing and spread it with the world and open the hearts, you know. But I hadn't had cacao for a while and I was standing on this dance floor and this girl that I did Kundalini with actually gave me this cacao heart. She said, hey, you know, have you had cacao? Do you want some? And I said, oh, my God, yes, Yes. please. This is amazing. And she gave me this cacao, and so my heart was very open, and I was feeling in flow. And I got a glass of kombucha, this beautiful golden elixir, and the music was beautiful, and the vibes were beautiful. And I was just sipping on this beautiful golden elixir, and I just felt, it's like I felt the future. I felt like I'd been teleported into what the world would be, or could be, if we make it such, you know, a few years down the line. Um, And just realizing that the distance between what the world is like now and what this reality could be is actually just making it happen and taking it in our hands to co-create this new reality and just feeling the strong calling that this kombucha, making this golden elixir was my my mission and my calling. And yeah, in that moment, I just just knew it had to happen. I, I couldn't let it not. Yes. So yeah, having that really strong calling and then at the same time having actually a bit of desperation around needing it to work because there was no plan B, you know, mm. um, was also a healthy dose of encouragement and, you know, yeah. the stress that like gets you out of bed early in the morning and that keeps you working throughout the day and keeps the distractions away. Especially feeling that, I think a lot of people struggle to find their purpose, you know, and the I think you, with your travels and having those experiences of heart opening and meeting the right people and having that journey brought you to a space where you were open to mm-hmm. what it could be or what it could feel like. Because in the world, like you say, we live in, we're not, our hearts are not always open to what our true calling could mm-hmm. be. So it's beautiful that you had that experience. Mm-hmm. But also what's inspiring is that you, even though there was a voice of doubt, you feeling the future, you still went forward and continued I must say, I must thank whatever great forces are at play for just those little omens and synchronicities. Because every time there was this feeling of like, okay, not going to make it through this obstacle. You know, it's just Mm. too too much. It's impossible. There were so many moments where it felt impossible. And somehow something would appear or a sign would come. And yeah, it's amazing. And so you're now at your friend's place that has... Um, given you the spare bedroom and then you you were getting inspiration from your dad's farm. So did you guys end up going to the farm? 
Mm -mm. Okay. No. Um, we definitely took a lot of inspiration and expertise okay. from um, working in the bubbly business with regards to production processes, but also with regards to uh, having quite a refined palette, you know, mm -hmm. uh, understanding how to make a blend that takes tastes perfectly balanced in a bubble that is beautiful and fine and elegant, you know. We were coming from that lens. Um, so it was very important to us from the very beginning that this drink needed to taste amazing. Mm -hmm. It needed to be something that brought a lot of pleasure and enjoyment as its primary value. And then the benefits are just the bonus. A little bit of know? a kick, yeah. What was the first product? What was the first one that you guys created? So we started with four kombucha flavors initially. It was the cucumber and mint, blueberry basil. That was my first one. Yeah. yeah. Blueberry basil, ginger lemon, and rooibos chai. And at the mo at the time, we were just in small bottles. Obviously, figuring out the packaging was a whole journey in itself. I had imagined these beautiful glass bottles with a, you know, with a gold screw yeah. cap, and it was go always going to be wonderful, but. Yeah, the packaging journey is a whole other story. Mm -hmm. Basically, let's just say we're very limited here in South Africa and we also with options, but also with regards to um, the market. You know, we've, we're working in quite a difficult market, a very price sensitive market. And if you're wanting to grow a whole new category and appeal to as many people as possible, you need to make your price Cost point as accessible as possible. Yeah. Um, cans weren't an option at the time. They now are, but yeah, basically we... Couldn't afford a canning machine from the get-go. Yes, of um, course. It's all a process. Yeah, it's all a process. Um, and, yeah, so we kind of realised, like, we need to solve... We can't solve all the problems, you know, the problems around packaging and the problems around how people are consuming. So let's just start with solving one problem mm -hmm. and then we can figure out the others later down the line. Yeah. But, yeah, what, what was unique about your kombucha? What made it stand out from the other kombuchas that were around at the time? So the main things was that we wanted to make it low sugar. We've now gone completely sugar-free, but at the time we went low sugar. So we, we had about a third of the sugar than other kombucha brands had at the time. Um, secondly, we wanted to really focus on creating that beautiful balance of flavors and bubbles mm. and make it a really enjoyable taste experience. Then in terms of our branding and how we positioned ourselves, we wanted to be this fun, exciting, delicious drink, not some boring health drink. It yeah. was really important. Um, and then price points, making it more accessible, um, which we tried to do as much as possible. But again, in the beginning, you're like, oh, you know, just some tea and water and sugar. How much can it really cost? It costs, but when, but you, it's quite a lot. when you add it all up and, yeah, you start building your, your financial models, you realize that, unfortunately, it's not that simple. So what, what, how did you come up with Happy Culture? Oh. The name. Yeah. It's always a difficult one when people are starting brands businesses yeah the name is always it's so uh, and, and once you find it it's so obvious but the process yeah it's a journey um we actually initially uh started with prana kombucha we even registered the company as prana kombucha because we really liked what prana meant mm -hmm. but we realized that it wasn't a commercially attractive name as much as it was going to remain quite niche you know if we needed mm -hmm. to make a name that was accessible and uh, appealing to the greater market. So when we started working on the branding with Prana, nothing was flowing. We just kept hitting a wall. Nothing was making sense. We also were starting with this whole like um, Eastern style of branding. 
because kombucha is originally from the east. So it was yes. called Prana and we had this like Eastern branding. And yeah, it was just not flowing. So we went back to the drawing board. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in here, but we smoked a little hashy. You're allowed to say anything. You're allowed to swear. You're smoked, allowed to smoke a little hashy. Probably had a little microdose as well, just Love to that. try and tap into some creative energy. Um, lit some incense, and I just remember we had pieces of paper on on the table. It was actually in the camper van. We went away for the weekend. We were parked at Komiki. We were in the camper van with pieces of paper all over the table, and we just started writing names and coming up with. All, all and any ideas. And I mean, we wrote down hundreds of different things and we had happy in a few things and then we had culture in a few things, but we just, for some reason, hadn't thought of putting those two together um, until, yeah. There was a moment. There was a moment when it just came, it came together. together. Wow. And the way that it felt really beautiful was because the, the intention is, of course, to um, inspire a culture of happiness, you know, uh, uplift happiness within, mm-hmm. within humanity. But then also um, we had a strong passion for making our cultures happy, understanding that we'd worked with quite a few different cultures at that point and we realised there, there is such a thing as an unhappy culture. For um, sure. That yeah. makes kombucha that doesn't taste super good, you know. It's got a bit of an off flavour. And we found things like if we fed it municipal water versus spring water, we would see a big difference in the taste of the kombucha. So we understood the importance of looking after our cultures so that they are happy and ultimately carrying a happy vibration that can then infuse into people's bodies and beings. So happy cultures for a happy culture. I love that it's from intentional from the beginning, like from the process, the intention of creating the brand to the making of the brand to what it is now. That Mm. flow is actually really beautiful if you think about it, like from the moment of inception to now and you're ingesting this happy culture yes <laughs> and then we were playing like 432 hertz music to our cultures and salt lamps in our brew room to really just infuse them with this high vibration incredible um and then the branding started falling into play and we realized we actually are a cape town brand you know yes so let's celebrate and nature is where we found a lot of our inspiration where i always find a lot of my inspiration and we are so blessed with the most beautiful and unique nature here in the western totally. cape so we thought let's rather celebrate that. So is that how these these bottles were? Mm. were so we got a, an artist to do illustrations. Mm-hmm. They all um, have some elements of Feinbos and then elements of the flavor. So here you'll see like there's the protea, but then you also see the basil leaves and the blueberries. Um, yeah. It tells a very strong story. I love it. Yeah. You mentioned a few of the challenges you faced as an entrepreneur. You know, you spoke about the... Um, the industry being really tough and, and you know, going through these processes, bumping your head um, in a couple of places. What advice would you have for entrepreneurs or people that want to start something, a business? Hmm. Um, firstly, yeah, one step at a time. Don't get too overwhelmed with the how. Because if I'd let myself be overwhelmed with all the question marks, I would have come to the conclusion that it was impossible and that I wasn't going to even try. Mm. Um, The how will figure itself out as long as the why is strong and the dedication is strong. You just keep going one step at a time. Um, So, yeah, that would be my main advice. Um, But I also think we're very blessed with a lot of opportunity these days. Systems are becoming more and more efficient, you know. Opportunities are becoming bigger and more accessible. So. Um, 
Yeah, anything's possible. And we need people to believe that it is because actually I'm, I'm very, I'm feeling particularly passionate at the moment about the potential that businesses and consumers hold in their hands with changing the world. We yes. change our material reality, you know, every time mm. we, for those who are building businesses and building products, we are literally changing what is on the shelves in stores around the country, what people are consuming. Um, and and then you were on the brink of that journey because I think people are becoming more conscious about what they're eating, what they, mm. you know, they're learning more about our food. So that brink of when your brand started is almost perfect timing because now everyone's mm. learning more about these, mm. these things. But it's important for the products to be available in the stores. Yeah. We can't tell people, oh, you should, you know, Live consume this healthy differently life or whatever if it's yeah. not available to them. A hundred percent. So... As businesses, we have we hold a lot of power, and especially in this whole new culture of small business, you know, we can all co-create this new reality. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited about that. How has Happy Culture evolved? I know you started with kombucha, but there's been some exciting things happening in mm. the last year and a bit. Can mm. you speak to me more about these? Yeah, so we started as a kombucha brand, but then realized later down the line that maybe there was more than kombucha and that our golden string through our products could be the concept of gut health and maybe even general health that's kind of gotten to. Mm -hmm. Because what we've realized now is that we, now that we have listings in all of the big retailers, we hold a lot of um, power to change what's on the shelves, essentially. We've got relationships, we've got distribution. So, for example, we recently launched these delicious... Chocolate bars, prebiotic chocolate bars. Because I don't know about you, but I love chocolate. I love and chocolate. And I'm often in the shop where I'm like, oh, I'd love a treat, you know. But like, dead bars, health bars, nice. But like, they don't really tick the box for me. Yes. And most of them actually aren't generally healthy, you know. They appear to be at surface. And maybe they're better for you than your classic Mars or Snicker bar, but they're still not great. Um, and for me, there's very rarely an option in the mainstream shops. Obviously, in the health shops, there's a few nice options. But in the mainstream shops, there's nothing. Stand there. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to change that. <laughs> I'm I sure there's that. other people having the same frustrations as I am. That's super so, visionary of you, which is great. Yeah. I, I never know where to get, unless it's like a lint dark chocolate, which is okay for my belly because I'm lactose intolerant. Yeah. This is yeah, that's so nice. And so the concept is we've removed the bad, you know, it's gluten free and soy free and dairy free and all of that, no added sugars. But then we've also added in the goodness, you know, it's high in fiber and prebiotics mm. and it's got some probiotics as well. So it's actually like food for your gut microbiome. And what are um, the different flavors? So, so we've actually got three, but our most popular one is cacao macadamia, and I didn't have any left to bring today because it's all been eaten. <laughs> but so there's cacao macadamia, which is not present now, and then that's banana and peanut butter yes. and then this is uh, raspberry and coconut wow I'm so excited to try yeah. these also I was going to ask you like cacao because it was also a special yes. moment for you and now you're bringing that element yes. into yes. into cacao I love that yes congratulations yeah. and also for growing the brand to the to the point it is I mean it's 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 a journey and it's incredible mm. to see how far you've come thank you Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's it's and it's still unfolding. That's the exciting part. So yeah, but I fully trust now that it's uh, destined for beautiful horizons, and I'm really excited for all the impact we can have. Being with you here there. today, I really so I'm shifting a little from my questions, but I what what stood out for me with you and. Um, 
we were we were meant to have this episode before, and we spoke about um, you know a woman in the menstrual cycle, and I said I really relate to that, and I want to talk about it because I think it's very interesting, mm. especially for the listeners, you know that deal with this and I've only been discovering it in the last like year I have never been aware and awake to it so just for some context for those listening and watching um you your body goes through different phases before during and after your menstrual cycle and I remember you saying you weren't ready to speak because you were in the inner world stage mm. can we speak a little bit about that because I'm so fascinated and obviously I haven't learned too much about it but I feel like you can really give us some insight around this oh wow um yeah so to kind of take a step back from that one of the things that I've realized I I burned myself out hard in the beginning because I was just in this like survival States. And I would say I was often in a fear sort of space, you know, where like, oh, you know, is this business going to sink? Are we going to make it? You know, and I was just like, go, go, go for the first few years of the business was a bit intense. And I did burn myself out hard. And what I found when I burned myself out is I ran out of inspiration. I ran out of passion. I lost touch with the vision. I got out of the heart space, you know, and that's where the magic happens. Right. So and I didn't have the energy. So over time, I've kind of learned, gained a bit more wisdom as to like, how I need to take care of my own well-being for the business to to thrive. Thrive. If I'm mm-hmm. not thriving, it's difficult for the business to thrive. I can so relate to this right now. It's like <laughs> talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things that I've learned about, I've obviously been learning so much about health and how to optimize nutrition, just general lifestyle. But one of the things is around how to um, honor your cycle as a woman. Um, and how each phase of your cycle has its own gifts. It's not like good or bad. Oh, ovulation is great and menstrual time is bad. It's just, it's like the seasons, you know, you get to harness the seasons. I also do that with the seasons of the year. Um, and you've, yeah, you've just got to learn like what to harness in each. And so around ovulation, it's a great time to be out and about and having meetings and communicating and being outward and sharing with the world. But it's important during the around your menstrual time to actually go w- inwards and actually more uh, tap into your intuition and your inner world and yeah, get inspiration, meditate more, sleep more, rest more, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't rest, if I don't honor that during that time and I just keep pushing, then all that happens is I start burning out. And even during ovulation time, then I don't have anything to Any share. Any energy, yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's been an interesting thing as well, like. Um, trying to tune into like how to manage that around leadership as well, you know, because when you're mm-hmm. a leader, you're almost always expected to show up. You're always, always expected to have answers and to answer your phone and to be available. And so it's been an interesting thing to navigate as well. But I've actually, we've got a team of mostly um, in the office now, women, and our CEO is also a woman. And Amazing. I really want to integrate that within our company culture um, to honor that, you know, if you are on your cycle today and you're really not feeling like you have the energy to come to the office and to give it your whole, mm-hmm. then let's be honest about that. And maybe you can work from home today in your PJs. And, that is incredible. You know, trying that to is, create a little bit of yes. more of a culture. It's obviously comes with a lot of consideration and complication, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's something that I'd love to. How's your team grown? That's how, like, you guys started with the two of you and then. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, in the beginning, it was uh, just Mark and I. I was doing all of the... Well, initially, we were doing all the product development and branding and building the facility together. But when we really went into action, 
Um, so we launched for the first time in September 2017. So that was about nine months after the idea came into being. We were about nine months in the womb. And um, when we went into market, I stepped into more the sales, marketing, finance, bookkeeping role. I was on the road all day trying to get our products stocked, doing promos and tasters and yes. events and just trying to... And that's to the birth of your marketing for where it is now, right? Like the, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's, it's moved so much over time and it's yeah. been just really shooting from the hip a lot, right? Mm. I didn't really have much experience or knowledge to work from, so it was a lot working from intuition and just passion and following mm. what felt right. Um, so, yeah, I very much stepped into the front line, I would say, and then Mark stepped into more the production back end. He was making sure that we were producing the product and getting it to the distributors. Um, and then over time, uh, we got more and more production staff um, and I got someone to help me with the sales and the admin. And, yeah, it's kind of grown over time, but now um, I'm more of a CEO role, but I also wear all of the hats, you know, I'm still... Ma- um, manning the marketing and the sales strategy and, and signing off on CFO staff yeah. and if we're raising investment I'm making the investor proposals and doing all of that and um, still very much helping with the production and product development side of things but we've got an amazing CEO Colleen who um, so I don't think I actually mentioned this on the podcast but Mark uh, exited the business earlier this year Okay. so um, our ability to cooperate was no longer coherent Um, and I've come to the realization that I think we were meant to build the business together and we were good at building a business together but we were not good at leading a business together our ability to that's also very powerful to come to that realization and move you know it's a very healthy way of moving into the next and Mm -hmm. continuing forward Mm -hmm. yeah and it's felt like a very destined evolution I think we're both feeling quite um, at peace with the, with the way things have shifted. Um, so, yeah, um, Colleen is now CEO, um, and then we've got a sales manager and a bookkeeper and orders and Incredible. customer support and, yeah, a whole team of people at the production facility and then also a lot of outsourced partners for the merchandising and the distribution. and Being in that role stuff. sounds busy. How do, you man- how do you maintain, like, personal life with the business? Um... I've I've found my flow over time. I work mostly from home at the moment, actually. Um, I find I can focus a lot more and be a lot more tapped into the bigger picture. As soon as I go to the production facility, I get a lot more drawn into the daily operations. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so obviously it's important to go there as well. But being able to work from home um, has helped me a lot. I'm a very efficient person. That's one of my gifts, I think I got it from my dad and just yeah. my personality. I'm very efficient. Like so I'm, you get I'm, stuff done. Do you have a list every day? Is that the... I mean, I've got an ongoing list, which actually grows <laughs> more than it drinks over time. But I just, know, I just know where to put my energy. I know how... It's, it's amazing. There's some great intelligence flowing through me when I'm working. Yeah. And, I, and I don't easily get distracted. If I find myself, you know, or maybe I'm tempted to look at social media or something, then... And I know that I'm losing focus and I need to take a break. And then I often use that time then constructively, either go sit in the sun for five minutes and just like get my eyes to like recalibrate or go stand on the earth and earth for a moment or do a bit of movement or, you know, I I try and use my breaks constructively. Um, 
So that helps me be super productive. And I actually, for the most part now, I only work during normal working hours. Um, I used to feel guilty doing that. I used to feel like if I'm not working after hours, if I'm not working on the weekends, then I'm going to fall behind and I'm not working hard enough. But again, as I said earlier, I've realized that taking care of my own well-being and recharging my batteries, et cetera, is super important for my business I completely agree. And it's like me starting a business now. I can relate to the burnout and the, you know, Mm. not looking after yourself. Where do you research this? I know you're researching a lot of general health, but do you share this on your social platforms through Happy Culture? Is this something? Because I am super fascinated, so I'd love to learn more. Wow. Um, I'm not really sharing much about that yet, but it's funny that you ask because I have been getting... A calling is coming through me lately around wanting to create a platform where I can share... um, yeah, knowledge and inspiration for um, optimizing well-being for people and performance. And yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a strong calling to start sharing. Um, I don't know when or how it will come, but mm-hmm. I'm going to keep tapping into to that calling and because see how it Because that's what I'm feeling from you. I feel like this, you know, just that conversation we had completely shifted my mind about the menstrual cycle. And I'm so much more aware, even though it was just a conversation, mm-hmm. it made me even change my podcast dates <laughs> <laughs> to, to align with that. Because mm-hmm. I, I also just push through and I'm sure a lot of people watching or listening don't know how to balance and don't mm. know how to tap in minds with meditation or yoga mm. like you said earlier like getting your feet onto the earth mm. um, but there's probably so many other ways of self-love practices mm. what are some of yours mm. well firstly we're so lucky living here in Cape Town hey we have so many beautiful options right on our doorstep um, literally looking at going it right into now. the ocean is one of my favorites, um, sunset swim, sunrise swim, so beautiful. I've been surfing a bit lately, but that's not necessarily relaxing. I surf on the weekends mostly because it's, it's a thing, you know, but I'm yeah. getting into it and I'm really loving it. Um, meditation, I try and meditate every morning. Uh, I don't every single morning, but I meditate most mornings and then I'm really loving my movement practice at the moment I used to do mostly yoga but now I've just got my own movement practice getting into like calisthenics and things Mm -hmm. and um, something that I'm feeling really passionate about Um, and then lying in the steam room for 20 minutes or so after my movement session every day just like that's my that's my moment in the day where I have the spaciousness to either process what needs to be processed or be have the space for whatever downloads we need to come through to come through. And that space is so important. Um, That's another thing is there's so much to process and integrate. And if we just constantly like... Thinking, we're not downloading. often when we have a break these days, we tend to... Get on, you know, it's so tempting. Get onto the little scrolling, so, the, mean, you know. Yeah, there's so a, many things that can happen just on the palm of your hand, and now we're just ingesting more information. Mm-hmm. So instead of processing and releasing, totally. And that's like you feel when you do a weekend away, or you just mm. stop for a second, and you don't have your phone, or your phone dies, and you just have this download, mm. and you actually feel better mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So, mm-hmm. what is next for Happy Culture? So I have a tendency. I love to how your eyes like light up when you talk about it. It's so <laughs> exciting. It's like I know you're passionate about it. It's uh, very cool. Um, 
I don't want to share too much yet because nothing is certain. We can give a teaser maybe. Yeah, yeah but let's just say we, we are not... So as I said earlier, there were kind of like three steps to like one, building the foundations for the business to be able to grow from and then getting the distribution and the reach. And now we're in this position where finally we can actually start the movement, like spreading awareness, spreading the message, building the community. Mm-hmm. And of course, growing the business and the sales along with uh, along with that, which is important for the business to remain sustainable and alive. Um, but there's so much I want to do with the business um, as a vehicle for change, you know. But at the moment, we are lacking resources. It's like a constant hustle, month to month, to make the cash flow like yes. yeah. <laughs> come right. And we can't grow a business like that. But now we've got a very strong proof of concept that there's a lot of potential here. So we are looking for a partner to come on board, bring some funds into the business, make the team a bit bigger and have budget to actually be able to put things into action. So I'm super excited uh, for like just the whole marketing strategy and brand building and building what we already have, Mm -hmm. but then also have like a few other product range ideas that I just can't wait to launch. keeping an eye out on that and (laughs) we'll be watching. So I think in in the next couple of years, there'll be at least a couple other ranges launching. That's incredible. Yeah, so. If there was a question that you feel like you would have liked me to ask, is there anything on your mind that comes up that you'd like to talk about or share with the world? Yo, I can't, I can't think of a question. I'm sure I'm going to later think, think of something. Of things, like, oh, yeah. no, I should have <laughs> said that. But right now, nothing's coming to me. And that's okay. Um, but... Yeah, the concept, the, the, the one quote that I really like and that I, I, I live by, and yeah. I've actually, a lot of the, the visions and inspirations I had for Happy Culture and the guidance came through like ceremony space and tapping into the potential of, you know, like the flower of life when one light ignites and then the lights around it can ignite as well. And so my, one of my favorite quotes is, as, as the spark ignites in you, so will it in others. And to remember the power that we hold in that of keeping our light bright and staying in the heart space, staying in love frequency, because that will, it's contagious and it will spread to those around us. There's too many people living in fear frequency and that manifests into disease and unhappiness and a whole ripple of things. We can't co-create the reality from a fear frequency space. So it's very important that we move into that love frequency, that light. And so we must just remember the importance of taking care of ourselves and igniting our own light as, um, yeah, it's a very important element of, of this evolution on earth. Um, so that's, ex- yeah. that's ex- so special. I really resonate with that so much mm. because it all starts with self. And once you're in a good frequency vibra- mm. vibration, you can then emit that out. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're doing is incredible. I am all for this brand for you and for the messages that you speak through the brand and with you like I see that you're doing more of these videos and stuff which is really inspiring I'm really excited to see what's next and to see where it grows and I mean my like I said my first kombucha ever was happy culture and that was the first time we met at one of your marketing events um, so yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here and that you were able to share your story and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to what's to come. 
thank you for your time. That's yeah. I know it's it's busy and um, to take your time out and to be here. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for the platform. As I said to you earlier, it's um, I think this is super important, a very important piece in the puzzle of. Uh, the Awakening and totally. a platform to tell stories, share stories. I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time and I'll make sure to listen to Maybe give all us of some, your future ones. Maybe give us some podcasts for our viewers and listeners to look out for some of your top three favorite podcasts. Oh, um, I've been loving the, the Deja Blue mm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I resonate a lot with her and her guests. <clears throat> um I love the Aubrey Marcus podcast love as well. Aubrey Marcus, one um, of my favorites. Yes, I've been loving the Diary of a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Bartlett. Yes. Yes. Um, and there's a new one I started listening to now around, which talks a lot around health and such. But his name is Chevron, but I can't remember. Uh, um, wake, wake, wake the fake up. Wake the fake up. Wow. Yes, and um, I'm really feeling uh, drawn to uh, enrich my knowledge in the space of nutrition and well-being, etc., so that I can, you know, ultimately spread that knowledge as well. It's a so great place to start because you can be moving around and listening to the audio. It's so yeah. great. It suits my lifestyle so much. Um, I would I struggle to find the time to sit down and read, but yes. podcasts, I'm all for it. So thank you for Amazing. creating another one. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. So we end off by blowing a kiss to camera. Okay. This season, we are changing it up. We are shooting at the iconic Bengali Place and Villa Ravenstein. These amazing locations are managed by Mikasa Property Management. Mikasa Property Management is a luxury holiday rental management company based in Camps Bay, Cape Town. They give homeowners and landlords in Cape Town freedom by taking all aspects of management off their hands while maximizing their rental property income. 